Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am joined as ever by Ruth. How are you doing, Ruth? You okay? All right. Yep. Another, you know, wild and wacky, low key Tuesday morning in Oregon. Well, I, I'm. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm living your life at the moment. I'm on half term, whilst you're on perennial half term. So, uh, so I'm very much enjoying your life. Nice, nice big, nice big walks in the rain with a dog, living the absolute dream in the Netherlands. Um, so we have a lot going on this week. We're going to talk about the upcoming women's games against Slovenia and Estonia. We are going to talk about the South Wales derby, uh, and we're going to talk about some age group football as well that has been happening for some of our Welsh teams. Ruth, absolutely massive game coming up for the women's team on Friday, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think Slovenia are undoubtedly the key opposition in this group. I think we have to accept that in all probability, France are, are, are going to be winning this group. And I think it's between us and Slovenia for grabbing that second second spot and heading into the, into the playoffs. They obviously had a very good game against the French, only lost... Uh, two, three at home to a very late penalty. Um, and, I, you know, I think this this is the marker game, basically, isn't it? If we if we can get something out of this game away with them, then that really does put us in an excellent position. I mean, before we go into too much detail about the game itself, kind of read in between the lines of what you said there, does that mean you'd, you'd take a point from this? I th- given it's an away game, I think I'd take the point, yeah, and the hope to make it three at home. Uh, later in the campaign. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. It was interesting, I've, I've referenced this before, I think, but when, when Gwenon Harris was on, she was saying that we've got to go into these games looking at three points is the only outcome good enough. I think uh, that's an interesting thing because obviously it is a very, very difficult game. I do, th- I, I kind of looking through a few things today, I was wondering if maybe we were bigging up Slovenia because of their results against France. But when you actually look back at their results of late, not only have they only lost two in quite a long time to Russia and France, they also have you know run up some very handy goal tallies as well. Yeah, for, I mean, they, they put four past Estonia away when, when we laboured to that 1-0, for example. So um, they, you know, they're, they're a... A serious team. I don't. I don't think we can. We can think otherwise. To go back to the point you made a minute ago, I don't. I don't disagree with Gwen. I think you go into the game looking for three points. If, but if you're asking me as a supporter, what would I settle for right now? I think I would settle for settle for the draw. Um, but obviously, you want to go into the games uh, with the with the aim of and a plan for winning. I don't. I, I don't think it pays to go into games with plans for a draw because those, those usually backfire on you. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I would just—it was—it's an interesting one, really, because I would think after the, the the last campaign, maybe they're kind of wary of getting draws as well, given what happened with that Northern Ireland situation. So maybe it will be a, a bit more of an attacking lineup. I don't—I don't know. It's kind of anyone's anyone's guess, I suppose. I mean, my my first real question is: How do you think Gemma Granger will approach the game in that sense? Do you think it's going to be more attacking, you know, and see if we can get something out of the game, or or do you think we might be a bit more defensive and see if we can nick something on the break? perhaps I think I think it's more likely to be the latter um, I think we're more likely to be sitting back a little bit compared to what we have been in the in the first two competitive games um, I think it's an interesting one Rachel Rose certainly won't be able to have the the space and the sort of attacking leaning of, of within a play that she had in in um, 
both games in the in the first window. And I think how that how that changes our shape in midfield will be quite uh, will be quite interesting. Uh, the I suspect we're going to have perhaps play Fishlock a touch deeper than she was playing in those two games. For, you know, for exactly this reason of just having a, a little bit more solidity in uh, in the midfield. Uh, Ingle obviously may end, um, and she may end up coming back just a touch as well, perhaps into that slightly more sort of sweeper role that we we saw her play in a, a few times in the in the last campaign. I think it's all just got to be a little bit more defensively minded I think the basic formation will be the same but I think the nature of the opposition means you're just going to have a have to approach it with a slightly more defensive minded mindset compared to the first two games I, I personally disagree with you there I think obviously they were, you know we're not going to be as gung-ho as we were against Estonia especially in those first 20 minutes but I do think we're going to be a bit more attacking than we have been in the past um, uh, you know looking at how we played with Jane Ludlow as manager I do think we might continue that plan I mean you think about the games against Denmark and and I know it was a I know it was a friendly but we were certainly more on the front foot in that game and I think Gemma Granger might <coughs> might continue looking at things in that way and continuing to play that way is my take on it my only concern is is that the Slovenians having you know watched some watch some of their games and watch some highlights they are very much a counter-attacking team. So I do think we have to be wary of that. I wonder if they may actually be quite happy for us to have the ball and they set up a little bit more defensive and, and play on the break. Both of their goals against France came from them breaking. The first one was a very, very good counter-attack. It was about three on six, but they still managed to kind of work the, wall, the ball well and, and create a very good opportunity. And the second goal... It was, a nice, it was a nice use of space, actually, that goal, wasn't it? it? The threaded really ball was. at the end is a really nice really nice uh, a very nice goal exactly yeah. great movement and I think that you know they carry a real threat in that department as well uh, Praznikar I don't know if I've said that name um, she scored 24 goals in 38 internationals which is a fantastic record so I do wonder there you know if, if that kind of style of play suits them and, and you know may lull us into a false sense of security to an extent in that they may be happy with us having more of the ball I agree with that. I think they're an on-the-break team. Um, that was very evident. I mean, that's perhaps half how you have to play against the French, but they were clearly comfortable playing that way. It, it may well suit them. Uh, to go back to your point about the defence, I think what I'm picturing is us approaching it, as you say, more like the Denmark game, perhaps a little bit more like the Scotland game, where we were solid, but we weren't defensive. Yeah. And I at, you know, not going back to the Ludlow like how we were against Norway, for example. I would never want to see us approach a game quite as defensively <laughs> as that again. Um, so I think I think there's a there's a there's a sort of halfway point, isn't there? There's not we can't go into it like we did the first twenty minutes against Estonia, as you said. But equally, we don't want to approach it like we did Norway. So I, I think the Denmark game is actually a good a good marker for this, um, and and probably the first half against Canada as well. Um, I, I think both of those showed how we can still make opportunities while being be defensively, defensively solid. Uh, looking as you were saying at the the uh, scoring for for the for um, the Slovenians is interesting, isn't it? Because the, the player you um, you mentioned that got the opener against um, against France, Prashnika, I think. We'll. we'll 
apologies. We'll go for that. Yeah, we'll <laughs> go for that. You know, she, she's, you know, she's playing in Germany and, as you say, is is scoring at, at roughly two goals in three games. Um, Zar, their captain, who uh, scored the penalty, which was the second goal in the the game against France, she's scoring at a, a similar rate. You know, nearly forty goals in seventy odd games and but once you get past the two of those you've got very few goals in the squad I think the I think the highest player after that there's a few of them that have got three or four goals but there's no there's no one else even close to providing the offense that those two do so I think obviously from a tactical point of view you'll want to look closely at how you can nullify those two players and um um Prasnika has a more obvious sort of striker's role, and Zaha has a more obvious sort of attacking midfield role. And I think it's how you can how you can lock them in. I imagine Ingle will be on Zaha's shoulder a lot of the time. Yeah, I think the thing I was impressed with there, as you as you mentioned, there is their link-up play, and I think that's got to be our goal really, is to see how we can kind of dominate that that partnership and make sure that we don't let that partnership flourish I think that's going to be where the game is won and lost with that said you know we, we want to talk about us as well I, I think Kaylee Green is going to be a really important player player for us yeah all three of the goals they conceded against France were crosses in some way shape or form one from a free kick one from uh, a corner well sorry one from open play and then uh, following that the penalty it, th- that was conceded from a cor- uh, from a cross as well so um, I will also say two of the softest penalties in that game I think I've ever seen conceded <laughs> I'm not sure either were, were, were penalties in my eyes but there you go um, but yeah there's definitely a weakness there and I wonder again if that might play into things maybe whether Kerry Holland may get uh, a start perhaps um, and continue as she did against the Estonians just to have a bit more of a physical presence up front and, and maybe looking at that those opportunities that the French created and see if we can recreate those uh, and make some chances for ourselves as well. Yeah, and I think I think set pieces could be really important. You know, Gemma Evans getting getting on something from a corner, as you say, for example, could you know those those sorts of situations you have to you have to take your chances, don't you? And I think they, um, as you said, against, against the French, I'm not saying they look suspect against crosses that wouldn't be fair but it was definitely the where the French had the most success in their play so I think we have to be mindful mindful of that and use um use the physicality where we do have it on on the field and make the best of that I think that plays into a, a game plan that they had as well which they seemed very happy to let the front the French kind of dominate central areas the French had a lot of long shots I think they had 12 maybe 15 shots in fact in the whole game but only three of them on target um, which is quite interesting, I think. Cause, you know, a lot of long shots, but when the crosses did come in, the French made them pay. So I, again, I think that might be the case. They'll kind of try and condense the game in the middle of the park, let us kind of have crosses and see if they take their chances that they'll defend them. Obviously, what happened uh, last month is not a shining example of that from their behalf. But hopefully, we can kind of we can kind of take advantage of that. Yeah, I think their their strength is wide as, as well like they 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 break that way too so i think um as you say they they look to con- defensively congest the middle and then create spaces on the edges for themselves on the break and i think we have to look how we can kind of turn the tables on them a little bit accept it might be congested in the middle and how can we how can we ensure that we're 
using the space that that provides. I think that might end up being a dilemma for for Roe, for example, where she wants to run into that space, but she's still got perhaps increased defensive responsibilities compared to the first window. So I think that will be an interesting, and the same for Roberts as well, although I think she's more naturally defensively minded. Um, But I think... um, I think that will be an interesting kind of waiting on on their on both of them in terms of how much they can push forward and and uh, contribute in an offensive sense. I do well. I know Gemma Evans has played left back a lot fairly recently, so I do wonder if this might be a game where she may go back to left back and Rachel Rowe naturally plays further up the pitch, so we have a bit more defensive setup there anyway. So that was just a thought I had. I mean, we've we've talked about if they draw or if they win. I think the one thing I will say is obviously either of those two results are fantastic in different settings. What we can't afford to do is lose this game because then we are needing something from the French game in all reality and, and that all of a sudden changes the concept, context, sorry, of our whole campaign. Um, yes and no, because it's another one of these rather strange situations where it's the head-to-head in these games that's important. So let's say we win, we lose one nil in this, but we lose, we win two nil at home in the reciprocal game. Then that gives us as an advantage. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird situation because equally, assuming you finish second in your group, you, there's then the, the ranking for the playoffs, and then of course goal difference becomes the important thing in the ranking for the playoffs. And it's, it's just, it's, I mean, it's as convoluted as it, as it gets. Yeah. And we, we know that, but I think I, I, let's concentrate on getting the points and then we'll, we'll worry about the nuances of the tiebreakers yeah. when we have to. We'll worry about the complex maths another day. Um, I mean, yeah. with all that said, uh, would you like to put forward a score prediction, Ruth? I, I think, I think I'm going for a one, one draw. I, and I think, and to be on. honest, I think I'd be happy with that. All things considered. Oh, no question. I'd be, I'd be very happy with the one-one draw. I, I've gone back and forth on this a few times in my head. Nil-nil was the first thing that I thought might happen. I think we might kind of balance each other or cancel each other out. We don't, we aren't exactly free-scoring, so go in somewhere like that. I think the clean sheet will be the priority. In the interest of positivity and some sort of variety, I'm going to say that I think we're going to nick it one-nil. Is what I'm going to say. Oh, I hope you're right. Yeah. Well, that's that's the end of that, though. That's that jinxed, isn't it? So, um, um, apologies uh, to everyone there. Um, I did just want to say one more thing that Walgoch um, Miniwad uh, has gone out to the game, and there's a few other people who are going out to Slovenia as well. So fantastic, and I hope they all enjoy their their days and their trips, and everyone has a has a safe trip there and back. We, I certainly, anyway. Sorry, I was going to say we. Uh, I'm not expecting you to travel from Seattle, Ruth. Um, but uh, I I'm hoping to go out to some of the games uh, at some point. The French games I was hoping to go to, but it's in Gingkamp. If I, I get I've said that right, but that's basically as difficult a trip from where I live in the Netherlands as you could possibly be being in France, um, which is quite selfish, really, that they haven't thought about me when planning these games. So um, hopefully I'll be able to make something uh, something happen. Hope I'm definitely I'm definitely aiming to go to the uh, to the Greece game uh, toward the end of the group as well. So fingers crossed. Maybe we can have a meet up in Greece, Ruth. Oh, don't tempt me. That would be lovely. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're constantly on half term, as we discussed. So, you know, maybe, maybe that could be a, a good thing to do. Maybe have a, you know, a mythos and a, 
uh, and some giros in, in in Greece somewhere. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that. I'm, that's that's official now, Ruth. You've uh, you've committed to that. <laughs> Don't tell Alan. <laughs> Uh, okay, so to move on then to the Estonia game, uh, the, the biggest thing for me here is patience. I think patience is key. We've talked about the goal difference not being important in the group per se, but obviously being important in the wider context. I don't want to kind of get carried away with that. We do obviously need to boost our goal difference compared to some of the teams around us. With that said, the victory is the most important thing here. And I think if we go into this thinking, as some of us did, myself included, that we would kind of steamroller this game in the away leg, we've got to make sure that we kind of check ourselves here in that sense as well and, and the win is the most important thing and if we can rack up some goals then fantastic yeah I, th- I mean I think it's it's obviously the the three points is the key thing um <clears throat> as we, as we know Estonia are a difficult team to break down they 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 if we you know I think we the timing of the goal we got <clears throat> when we were playing them away was really important because it kind of took the pressure off a little bit but we we didn't really create a great deal more after that um and so i think i think you're right i think just not um not fret not get worried about it i think i think the the respective fitness of the two teams may come into play you know in the last 30 minutes or so and i, I think as you say we've just got to be patient um, use use the uh, use the home crowd. Just like you say, concentrate on the three points. If if we can get a few goals in the in the process, great. But let's let's just peg those three points. You'd like to think that. I mean, it didn't really happen so much in the last game either. But you'd like to think that if we do go into this in a positive mindset, then obviously getting the early goal is key, and that would like to, you know that would likely pull them out a bit. Um, so you'd, you'd hope that that would happen this time. Obviously, it did. I'm saying that it didn't really happen last time, but um, I, I do think that maybe we'll, we uh, we will have learned lessons from that previous game, in the sense that we did start to move the ball a little bit slower. Um, we did become, I don't want to say predictable, but they were quite comfortable, I felt, for the most part. Um, so I do think we've got to make sure we have a good amount of variety in the way we play, but also make sure that we do move the ball quicker. I think that's the key for me, is make sure we keep moving them about as much as possible, rotate the ball as much as possible, and create spaces for ourselves. I think comfortable is a good descriptor. I don't think we asked many questions of them, all things considered. I don't think we made them... Uh, we made them have to tactically adjust anything. We didn't really make them, uh, we didn't ask questions of them. And I think the, clearly getting those three points away was was the, the, the most important thing. And I don't want to sound overly critical. Uh, but I, I think in a home game, there's there's an onus on you to, to make, the opposition uncomfortable and I think I think that's what I'd be looking for in terms of how we approach the game. Um, absolutely. I, I've, I've just I've found a, a fantastic, what I thought was a fantastic uh, stat today, which is only four people in their most recent squad, which assume will be a very similar squad to play against us. Only four players have actually scored goals for Estonia in the whole squad, which I thought was fan- like a fascinating stat. Um, 
Signe Arna, again, I'm almost certain to have pronounced her name wrong, so apologies, has scored 26 goals. She's the kind of biggest goal threat. But I think the reality is just stopping the ball getting to her is the, is the, main, is the main thing. I think she didn't have much of a look in, in the last game, and, and, and you'd imagine that breaking down any supply lines to her is going to be key in, in terms of us continuing to keep a clean sheet. Yeah, I think we just we just need to disrupt them and well, you can back to this idea of making them uncomfortable. I think we just we just need to make them look like the were they fourth or fifth group you know name out of the hat sixth name out of the hat. We just need to make yeah. them look like that that team in the group. And I don't think we made them look like that when we were when we were away in Tallinn. So I think there's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we're coming coming back from Ljubljana with a nice, you know, a nice result in a positive mindset, and we can and we can push forward into this game. Yeah, I hope so, and I think you know that would be the key, isn't it? You know, we we talked about this with the men's game. It would that draw in the Czech Republic didn't mean anything if we didn't then go to Estonia and 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 get three points from that game, which we hooker by crook did. Equally, I'd say it's a very similar lineup here. If we if we go to Slovenia and don't get a result. Uh, and we do get a result there, sorry, be it a draw or a win. It, it all kind of becomes irrelevant if we don't maximise that advantage when we go to Estonia as well. So, you know, big, big, big moments in the campaign. Yeah. yeah. And uh, hopefully a good a good crowd heading to um, the CCS for this. Uh, I know that FATW have been working hard on, on the tickets and there's, uh, there's some special promotions for uh, sort of tweenies and teenagers to get good deals on the tickets and that sort of things as well so just just hopeful of a, of a decent turnout absolutely I, I said campaign there another flawless link i think there's two things i want to mention really here is the campaign that has been launched yesterday uh, when we were recording this by the faw and by the women's team are talking about misogyny and football i thought the video that uh, that went out today was so powerful uh, and so poignant and so important that I think it's fantastic, All, albeit they shouldn't have to do it, but I think it's fantastic that uh, these players are kind of standing up for this and they're making an impact on Welsh football, not just on the field, but off it as well. And I think it's, it's just it's wonderful what they're doing. Yeah, I think it, it's a really interesting partnership with um, with the Welsh government and, you know, educational bodies to uh, to launch the, these resources and I, you know so already the, some of the material that they're just sharing um, on social media is, is very it's very powerful and I think the fact that I mean this is it's not just focused on football is it's, it's focused on misogyny and just on online and offline but with a sort of online emphasis and I, I think that the women in the team are such great role models that I think their their voices and their weights and their standing is really important in this. And I think um, that, I mean, you go back to that old adage of, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it, you can't dream it if you can't see it. And I think it's really important for girls, young women, older women to see... <laughs> other women standing up for each other and not not staying passive and not being um accepting of these things and i think the more that we 
do that as a collective, the more uncomfortable we can make the people that are misbehaving and just make them aware that you are overstepping the line. What you are doing is wrong. This is unacceptable. And keep calling people out. You're not going to change people's behavior if you don't make them aware that their behavior is unacceptable. I agree. Um, and I think oh, the, more, the, more we can, the more we can do this, the, the better. I entirely agree. I thought the way that they handled the video in general was excellent because it would have been quite easy for, for them to kind of continue the flippant remarks that they were given as they were going through. And some of them, to be fair, were very, very good. My highlight being Helen Ward reading one out that said you can't use good and women's football in the same sentence. And she just said, well, you have just used those words in the same sentence. So I thought the, I thought the comebacks were excellent, but I think it really hit home as well how they handled the, the last bit where they were talking about um, the Weight Watchers seconds team or something like that, which is so unnecessary, so offensive. And the, 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 the switch that they managed to handle that with, um, I think, shows that they are so understanding of how they need to kind of handle this situation, which, again, is, is, is appalling that they need to handle this, in inverted commas. But um, I, I did think that was exceptionally done within itself, not just the importance of the video, but also what they, how they did it as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're such, they are great role models. We keep coming back to this, but they're, you know, as a, as a, uh, a, a fellow sort of woman who's at least notionally involved in football, even very periphery, um, you do take great strength in other female voices standing up and, and having a place, you know, you, 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 you it's really, it's a real it's a real development i feel over the last 5 to 10 years where you you there's a presence of women in football and i and i it's it's making some people stop and it's making some people stop and get angry and i think we have to you have to just keep pushing against that you have to keep pushing against the the folks that can't see this as the progression that it should be I agree and I think it's you know you know we're talking about visibility there I think the way that the squad announcement was handled was fantastic I've I got to say when we when I was chatting to Laura McAllister in Prague she was saying oh there's something exciting coming up um, when the next squad gets announced and this is obviously what she was talking about the the older players um recording themselves kind of going through and um, the squad names and also the number cap they were and everything else I thought that was I thought that was amazing and you know to go along with that it's obviously worth referencing that this is going to be the 200th game for, for the Welsh women's team, which in one sense is great that things are continue to progress. But it is also crazy that that it is only, in inverted commas, the 200th game at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a milestone. I think we should celebrate it. It's, it's frustrating that it's a, you know, it's a slow process, but we, we are in such a better place that I think it would be... Um, a little surly to kind of overemphasize the, the the to question that. I think it's you know we are uh, we're moving forward in ways now that we that we haven't before. And I I think one of the things I I, I don't know if you saw it. There was a short video I saw with the it was the usual video of the players sort of arriving at the hotel and the squad have arrived and that sort of thing. But the FAW had obviously put up some displays at the Vale with old team photos and you know like a bit of a sort of history montage in photos um and i do hope that they share that 
more widely because that actually looked really interesting. I'd love to see those curated and understand, you know, this shot was from this game and, you know, these are these people. And I think it'd be nice to turn that into a bit more of a, sort of shared display as well as as well as being powerful for the players yeah i agree seeing some of the videos and the the parts of some of those videos where you can see older players scoring goals and, and walking out to start matches you know as you say was very powerful so i think that's fantastic and i also think it's really important that this group of players are recognized for being the group of players who play in the 200th game as well because they are you know arguably the most important group of people in, in Welsh football at the moment is not just what they're achieving off the pitch but obviously what they're doing on it as well and you know so close to qualifying for successive tournaments and, and going further I think it's really really important that we recognise those players as well and the For Her um, campaign is 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 just amazing really I think again like I've said the word powerful a few times but it, it really is that and I think full credit needs to go to the players the FAW Tiny Welsh Media that so many people who are contributing to such fantastic campaigns yeah and I think it's it's a sign of the times as well that we're you know we're starting, <clears throat> excuse me starting to see proper age group competitions you know the the uh, Lauren Dykes is now heading up the uh, um, under 17s that have got um, Euro qualifiers coming up. They've changed the format a little bit in that it's a sort of Nations League sort of thing that's being doubled as a qualifier. And the, the under-17s, because they made it to the elite round just before everything had to stop for COVID, they're in Tier 1 of the Nations League. So um, they've got games against Sweden, France and Italy, which is just like, whoo. <laughs> So those those start on Friday. So um, good luck to those to, to to the girls involved with that, and to Lauren as well, because you know it's her first uh, her first campaign. And then just because before we set up uh, to chat, I was watching the under 19s play Andorra, um, and we got a really nice three nil win in the first the first round there. So they've got um, games against Albania and Moldova coming up over the over the coming weekend as well and I, I just think it's just wonderful to see this development happening you know and you look you look at where the girls in these squads are coming from and the different teams involved both in Wales and across the border and just really exciting I agree. I know, having spoken to Laurie Roberts, that the under-19th pathway is, is the biggest kind of thing that they're trying to push on domestically and also the, the, the impact that that will have on the national game as well. So I think that's um, obviously something they are working really hard on. And I think, you know, you've said visibility before. The fact that the FAW Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, whatever, are kind of promoting these games and sharing these games and that you have access to these games, again, is super, super important. And I think, you know, again let's hope it kind of continues to progress and, and turns into something positive on the football pitch for the for the senior team moving forward. Yeah, I think, well, you, we can we can see it in the men's development that even if the younger age groups in and of themselves are not, you know, having stellar track records in terms of the results, the fact that these, these games are happening and they're having competitive games at this level and they're getting used to being in squads and they're getting used to being in mini tournaments like this this one that the girls as I was mentioning just playing in Andorra just being in that environment impacts their ability to step up to the main squad I mean I think I think the men's under 
anyone suffers from the fact that so many of the eligible players yeah. are actually in our are in our senior team. Um, but obviously, what's happening at under 21s is a good preparation for the senior team. Otherwise, we wouldn't see that trajectory. So I, I think we have if we can start to see that within the women's game as well, um, with a proper conveyor belt developmentally, I, I, you know, it's, it can only be good. No, I agree. Um, we're going to have to have a quick pause as I think Shearer the dog is barking. So I just need to go down and check what's going on with him. Uh, and I will be back in one moment where we will talk about the South Wales derby. So, ladies and gentlemen, back for part two where we're going to discuss the South Wales derby. Uh, a convincing win, really, for the Swans. And to go with it, three very, very good goals. Excellent goals. Um, I, I think you can see the fact that Russell Martin basically had had a, a fortnight, effectively had a fortnight of pre-season that, you know, due to the international window and, and some time with the with the vast majority of his squad. And yeah, it was it was an interesting game. I, you know, on on paper Cardiff had almost as many shots as as Swansea, and very early in the game they had a couple of chances that yeah. you know it might have been different if if you know Harris or or Moore had um had got one of those but obviously a very convincing will win ultimately uh, by the swans yeah absolutely i mean it was giles sorry i think that had the chance you're talking about you're referring to at the start sorry yes yes but yeah, uh, at the start yeah but uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's the one real chance. I think the more one is he kind of makes something out of nothing almost. But I agree with you. I think if Giles scores there, then we do have a different game on our hands. With that said, do I see Cardiff keeping a clean sheet or only conceding one as a, as a consequence? I, probably not. So I'm not sure it actually may, may have changed that much of the outcome. The big thing that I kind of took away from looking at this, I was critical on Twitter recently, um, with Swansea in that, I get all the style of play stuff and I get that this is what Swansea fans want, but at some point the results need to come. It was therefore Sod's law that the results did do start to come when after I've slagged them off. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm Cardiff Swansea fans are a welcome for that. My usual jinx strikes again. Um, I think if this is them starting now and the process in inverted commas working and it, this clicks for them, then you can see why Swansea fans are so keen for because if they play like that regularly, I mean, I know they were basically playing, you know, a disorganised rabble, but I, I think if if that continues, then I think the, the only way really is up for them, isn't it? Yes, but I think I think it's difficult to draw too many conclusions from a game against the current Cardiff City team. Um, the I'm not sure I'd call them a rabble, but I can I can see why you use use that word. Um, the they they were very messy on the ball, wasn't it? the amount of possession? But they had a small amount of possession relatively anyway. But then when they did, they were giving it up very easily, and there was a lot of hurried passes, passes to no one in particular. So um, I think that, that inevitably made the Swans look good because yeah. you can only judge it in the you can only judge it in the context um so i think i think we have to be careful of sort of over egging this from from swansea city and you know have they genuinely turned a corner and all the all of this but you can you can only you can only view this as a positive step it's just you know how how 
far is that trajectory ultimately going to take you? It's obviously clearly, uh, you know, will not be something we'll be answering till till May. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is it now. Swansea are going to go and get promoted and win the league necessarily. And I and I do take your point that it is, you know, that performance against that Cardiff team does. I don't want to take take the shine off for for Swansea fans. I'm sure they won't get less. But it, in terms of the bigger picture, maybe it raises questions. But sometimes, for as bad as Cardiff were, you do have to say, you know. Swansea were excellent. I mean, I've I've called Cardiff a rabble there, and I'm sure SWAT Cardiff fans might be annoyed at that. I, the few I've spoken to on on Twitter about this would probably agree. But the reason I say rabble is I don't think I've seen a team other than Newcastle United and Steve Bruce it be so disjointed in what they were trying to do. Because in watching that game, I don't know what they were trying to do. They weren't willing to try and press the ball. One person would go and press and no one would go with them, so it would leave a big hole in behind. Is that one player deciding, right, let's take the game by the scruff of the neck and try and do something? Or is it the lack of communication between when they should press and when they shouldn't? Defensive, they, they, you know, they looked the movement that was going on around them looked just to confuse them. And there was one thing that happened. Bakuna, I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Cardiff fan. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a neutral in this situation. But Bakuna, for me, if I was a Cardiff fan, I'd never want to see him play for my team again. I thought he was dreadful. And I thought there were points where, you know, he gave away the ball once and he gave away such a reckless tackle that followed it. I thought to myself, you just don't want to be here. You just don't look arse. He wasn't tracking. He wasn't trying to win the ball. He wasn't doing the right things in inverted commas. He was just running around a bit. And I just thought, I thought he was awful. And, you know, he's he was far from alone. But he really stood out to me as the player. I was just like, mate, you haven't got a chance. And bless Kiefer Moore. I mean, he may as well, I, I tweeted out, he may as well be sat in the front room watching the game with me. He was that disjointed from the rest of his team. He, he may as well have been sat on the sofa with me. He was, he was just so alone, so isolated. And, you know, it, uh, Cardiff just looked to be in a mess. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that. They are they are in a mess, but um, I think it's difficult to pull out a player because the whole the whole sides were lacking a plan. And I think you know the contrast in the two performances is it's a very real example of where having a plan and knowing who you are is so key to, so key to playing football. I don't I don't think it particularly matters. Well, you know, aesthetically it matters what the plan is, and obviously some plans may prove may give you a better dividend than others but if you have a plan and everyone in the 11 knows what they're doing knows what their role is knows how they can contribute knows what their responsibilities are then you've got a chance and there was two teams and one was ticking those boxes and one didn't have a clue and sorry Dave can I just make myself a cup of tea (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) I really need a cup Okay, well, you were talking about style of play before your very important tea break, so uh, so you continue. <laughs> no, I was just making the point that, you know, from an aesthetic point of view, I, would, I don't particularly want people to be defensively, you know, a Warner, Warner-esque type Cardiff. It's not what I'd choose to watch, but it can be effective, and at least people know what they're doing. Um, and I think at the minute, Cardiff seem to have such a scattergun approach that I think it leaves someone like Bakuna, ironically, running round in circles, perhaps because he's trying to be positive, and he's trying to be proactive, and he's trying to be involved. But he ends up looking headless because he's not sure what that should be. 
I know what you're saying. I mean, I, I would personally disagree. I, I, I'm not even sure how much he did try to run around and, 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 and be involved uh, and be headless, should we say. But I, 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 I take the point. I, I disagree. I mean, the, the way I've tried to kind of look at this to explain it is there is a difference, like you said, between being defensive and being disorganized and sitting in because you don't have much of a choice. And... To go with that, I'm going to compare them as is my as is my want to Newcastle. Under Rafa Benitez, Newcastle were defensive, fairly negative. It wasn't great to watch, but with a limited team with a limited squad, he got results. Steve Bruce's Newcastle, as you know, aside from my dislike of him and the money he spent, he's got a better team playing worse football without the results, and unfortunately, that you know, is is very similar to, to what is happening at the moment with Mick McCarthy in that they're desperately searching for identity. They haven't got one because they don't know what they want to do. The, the, the plan seems to change every week, but it's never good. It never works. And, you know, it, you know five centre-backs a couple of weeks ago, absolutely chaotic way to try and play football and run a football team. And, and this is what it kind of appears to be happening. Now, I said when McCarthy got the job, and I'm very rarely right, but this was one thing I am right on, if anyone cares to go back and listen. But I said when he got the job, this stinks to me of this of the club kicking the can down the road. And the biggest thing, the worst thing that could happen here is that he does well for a certain period of time. He gets a permanent contract, and then reality intervenes, and his true self, because we went through the statistics... His, his true self shows. And then Cardiff are in the exact same problem they were 18 months before or whatever under Neil Warnock where they weren't playing good football, the results are dried up and you're left in a circumstance where you haven't solved any of the problems that need to be solved and you haven't got any success in the short term. And that is, again, I'm only blowing my own drum because it never happens, but that is exactly what's happened. And Sw Cardiff are in the exact same position they were now where they need to go and do something about their manager situation. But are you putting money on the the the, the club and the ownership and the, and the people around the owner making this right decision for the long term and committing to change and investing money or are they just going to hope for the best? Because, you know, Ken Chu coming on the Cardiff City fans' buses on the way to Swansea, which in itself is is a disgrace, saying, saying things like, I wish I had, I wish we did have a new manager when Cardiff fans were saying things to him, is absolutely disgusting. I mean, I'm no Mick McCarthy fan, but for, to be treating your manager like that and saying things publicly about your manager like that is absolutely disgraceful. So, you know, does that make me think that Cardiff are going to reinvent themselves and go and do the right thing here. I mean, I'd I'd be absolutely staggered. I got to be honest. Agree. I mean, I think McCarthy is a a symbol of a sort of systemic problem with yeah. with the club not knowing what they are, where they want to go, what their identity is. Hundred percent. Having a plan, having a roadmap, just just being an organisation with a strategic plan, and I think. That until they get that sorted, then in some respects the management part of it is somewhat. I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but it's it's not the main issue here, is it? The main issue is what and who are they as a football team um, in the in the like in the big picture sense. And I don't think I don't think there's a desire by the powers that be to address that and to, and to grab that and sort it out. I think they. They are going to ricochet from one one problem to the next, one manager 
fixture to the next. If they can stay mid-table in the championship, that seems to tick whatever boxes they want to tick. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this bad run might result in a new manager in January, but I don't, I don't think that's actually going to solve the problem. No, I, I think, like you said, there, it's, it's it's a systemic problem, and I think that until that changes, Cardiff are going to be in a in a tough spot. And I, you know, I'm not suggesting they will get relegated this year, but unless something changes, that you can only avoid that you know slippery slope so many times. Eventually, it kind of catches up with you, and you know, it's it's never it's never good. So I, I hope that doesn't happen for Cardiff. Um, I do just want to finish on a sad note. Uh, having heard the news of David Brooks and Dan Barden this week, uh, the under-21s goalkeeper, in that David Brooks has Hodgkin's lymphoma and Daniel Barden, the under-21 goalkeeper, has testicular cancer. Shocking, really, for, for both people, such such young people, and to have this happen to them is, is, is dreadful, really. So our, our, our thoughts go out to, to them and their families, and, and fingers crossed across the board that there will be a swift recovery for both players. Yeah, I mean, hopefully both situations have been caught relatively soon in in the sort of trajectory of these things, hopefully. And treatment and, and recovery is, it's at a very, very different place now than it was not so long ago, really. So, um, lo- you know, love and best wishes to both of them, obviously, and uh, just hope to hope to hear improving news over the next few months from them absolutely um i i saw on on twitter um and discussed with welsh football uh, at welsh football 58 um talking about maybe see if we could set up some sort of campaign to get uh, a round of applause for for the both of them in the belarus game which is obviously the next home game so um i would really like to push that and i hope we can get something going i'm going to try and share something uh, with the FAW at some point and hopefully uh, we can kind of get a bit of a campaign going close to the time but it would be great uh, for number seven which is his club number for, for David Brooks to, to clap on the seventh minute and I think it would be great to include Dan Barden in that as well so if we could get a round of applause going on the uh, for the seventh minute of the match uh, against Belarus that would be fantastic and we, we're going to kind of put out some pictures and, and all sorts of stuff to, to see if we can get a little campaign going for that in the next couple of days so please keep an eye out for that please do share that and hopefully we can get um, a little moment for, for David Brooks and Dan Barden at the Belarus game as well yeah I think I mean, I'm sure the FAW will be thinking along the same lines themselves as well so um, I would imagine that will that will come to fruition let's hope so let's hope so well it's a it's a it's a sad note to, to finish on Ruth but uh Fingers crossed that both uh, improve and progress and, and get themselves better soon. But on uh, a positive note, obviously, two fantastic games to look forward to for the women's team. We're going to do our best to do a review podcast of that as well. Uh, and obviously plenty more stuff as we look ahead to the next round of games for the men as well in a few more weeks. Um, so, yes, there you go. Good luck to the women. If you can make that game, please, please, please do try and get along. It'll be a fantastic match, fantastic atmosphere if the last one was anything to go by. And hopefully we'll see lots of goals as well. Yeah, good luck, good luck to the to the girls. And, uh, yeah, the game's coming thick and fast. It's always an exciting time of, the, time of the year. Exactly, exactly. Well, good luck. Get yourself to the game. And come on, Wales. Have a good week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.